Welcome to the Fear Boss Show, a show created to help you become the bravest, boldest, and most badass version of yourself yet. Now, this show is allergic to basic. It's a show that loves real talk. It's a show that will help you slay self-doubt, and it's a show designed to help you check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm your host, Judy Holler, best-selling author, keynote speaker, improv theater junkie, and a hip-hop-loving entrepreneur. It's kind of like this. If Amy Poehler and Dr. Dre had a baby, uh, that would basically be me. I am obsessed with helping you smash comfort zones and experiment with your fears so you can get more freedom in your life personally and professionally. This podcast is going to help you do just that. So, are you ready? Let's get this Fear Party started. You are listening to The Fear Boss Show, episode 16. This episode may contain adult content and language, so please take care while listening. Hey, hey, and welcome back to The Fear Boss Show. Fear Boss, this is your show. It's a show obsessed with helping you smash those comfort zones and experiment with your fears so you can live a braver life. And Fear Boss, I am so damn excited about this episode because I am giving you all of the behind the scenes action on how I wrote my book. I'm talking about publishers, the publishing process, the book process, the timing, the stuff that rocked, the stuff that sucked. I'm going to talk about what I wish I knew and what I'm so glad I know now, all of it. This episode is for you. If you have a book in your heart, but fear is in your way. Amanda on my team puts me back into the hot seat. Oh yeah. You got to throw in a little Nelly on this, right? Oh yeah. She's putting me back into the hot seat and asking me your burning questions about the book writing process and the book publishing process. So if you're in your car right now, in your bathroom, maybe you're on a walk, I don't know, could be a good time to just dance it out a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, I will be sharing all kinds of advice and tips and really taking you behind the scenes to share what my book writing journey looked like and sharing all of the things that I wished I knew. So one quick audio production note. It's going to sound different than usual because we are in quarantine. So Amanda and I couldn't be in the same space to record this. And where her podcasting equipment is, is in Chicago. And she is not in a location where she could have that. She is uh, in Cincinnati in her quarantine. So we popped in the AirPods and got on Zoom and we did a great job. So just give us some grace if the audio on her end doesn't sound as good as it normally does in these hot seat episodes, but it doesn't matter. The content is juicy. So are you ready? Let's do this. I am so excited to be back on the podcast with another installment of The Hot Seat. It's such a fun opportunity to dig deeper and for everybody to get to know you a little better. So I'm going to start with basic question. How are you? Like, what's new? Well, I'm telling you, girl, that is a hard question to answer these days. And what y'all don't know (laughs) is, well, you do know, because I told you this, we're on Zoom right now. Normally, Amanda and I like record these together. uh, And we had planned to do that, but the world has changed and we can't be in the same place at the same time. So we're doing this via Zoom. So I guess it's kind of like a fear experiment and we hope our audio works up well for us here. But it's a weird question to be answering. And as I looked at her face when she asked me that question, it was kind of like the, uh... (laughs) How are you? 
it's like such a weird question. Awkward emoji. It's like the awkward emoji face. She gave me my favorite emoji face, which is the awkward emoji face when she asked me that. Uh, I, I feel like it's a hard question to ask now because it is just a weird, it, it's a weird time. Everything is kind of blah and it's not good weird. I love weird. It's like bad weird right now. Uh, so my medicine right now is just like forward momentum and I'm going really small to go big, um, which means I'm collecting small wins right now. Like it's my job because it kind of is my job right now. <laughs> but I'm also letting myself off the hook because if I need a night to binge Shit's Creek, by the way, is anybody watching Shit's Creek? If you are not watching Shit's Creek, go watch Shit's Creek. It is so good. I just started season three last night. I like, well, first episode of season three starts today for me. And I cried at the end of season two. They've come so far as like a family and the message is so good. And I'm not trying to go on a tangent here. And I know I am, but it's just been a great show for me to get my mind off the world. So it is, it's light and fun. Like it's a, it's a good show. It is a good show. So I guess the long answer to your beautiful question is, I hope the same for you. I am just in forward momentum and I'm trying to keep my mind focused on small wins and just staying bigly brave. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I'm good. I feel like I'm kind of finding my footing in the new normal, but just like you, right? It's gold stars and trophies for freaking everything. I was never a fan of trophies for everybody until COVID and quarantine because it's like everything has to be celebrated as a win and everybody has to like continuously adjust day to day. So I've been using the time to kind of look at my goals and habits and definitely my priorities, which is pretty much what led to this episode, to be honest. And well, that and the fact that it is one of the most popular questions that we get from the community. All right. You ready to get back into the hot seat? Girl, I was born ready for the hot seat. And I think this calls for a little more Nelly. You ready? Oh, hold on. Hold on for your boss. Hold on. Let me turn it up for you. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm going to let this ride for a minute. Cause it's getting hot in here. Woo! Here it's the hot seat fear boss. And I'm about to answer your questions on all things book publishing and the book writing process. Thank you, Nellie, for walking us into that. And Amanda, thank you for dancing with me on Zoom. We yep. both had like a no little dance party. <laughs> but yeah, I'm so excited to be back into the hot seat. Let's do it. So let me start by telling you how this kind of links into Golden Dreams and why this became like a topic that I was really curious in. Because like, as I took a fresh look at my goals in light of being in quarantine, I realized that some of the ways I've been looking at someday kind of needed to be moved up from a dream to a goal. Like dreams become goals when we build a plan, right? Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. Dreams without deadlines are for the princesses in fairy tales, okay? And I love fairy tales and I love a princess, but I'd rather be a hustler, right? So goals with deadlines are for the hustlers who are ready to make things happen in their life. Even if you don't 100% know what that looks like yet, it takes guts to turn your dream into a goal. And the only way you can do that is by putting some freaking action behind it. Right. Totally. So one of the goals that I have, which I know tons of your bosses in our community have, is to write a book. My goal actually says, I wrote a book that people read. So <laughs> that would be a good I goal. Thought, right? I mean, I could read it. My mom would probably read it. So I thought it would be fun to talk to you about your journey into writing a book and ask some questions that we've received from our fear bosses along the way. Sound good? 
I love it. Let's do it. So I have to be totally vulnerable here. And even with all of the knowledge that I have from working with you, I still have this vision. For you guys that are like 35 years old and older, you might know exactly what I'm talking about. But like, I have this idea, this vision of the show Murder, She Wrote, which was a weekly show that was on like local network television. The main character was an author and the show would open with her typing murder she wrote on her typewriter. And I have this vision that you sit down and start typing and just write the whole book that the whole thing has already been crafted in your mind. And boom, once you start, all of the ideas just pour out, you print it out on your paper and send it to a publisher. Like that is so funny, but that is still what I have in my mind. Does that resemble your process at all? Um, hardly. And I wish I could be as OG as the queen, Angela Lansbury, which is the name of the actress who played the main character in Murder, She Wrote. Um, and I'll link in the show notes to like the clip a man is talking about. I'm sure we can find it on YouTube, <laughs> right? Where I'm she's sure. like typing away and it opens the show with her like writing this beautiful manuscript. Um, but either way, I, what I do think is similar is that my process looked like me writing a lot when it flowed. It definitely flowed, but I didn't sit down and write the whole book at once. Once I got on deadline, I scheduled time blocks to write when I knew I'd have limited distractions and when I knew I was going to be the most creative, which for me is always in the mornings. That's awesome. So I want to start at the beginning. When did you start dreaming of writing a book? Like in Fear is My Homeboy, you talk about the lightning rod moments when the book's idea came to you, but I'm talking about more of dreaming of writing. Okay. So you want to know the real deal truth here? I <laughs> never really dreamt of being an author, to be honest. Like, what? I, yeah, I didn't. Like, I... I dreamt, like if I think of my dreams, like the things that kept me up at night and the things that keep me up at night that like make my heart race are things like I dream about speaking. I dream about performing. I dream about being on stage and big audiences. I dream about being in media and on the cover of magazines and all these sorts of cool <laughs> things, right? But I never really dreamt about being an author. Uh, specifically, I mean, now I dream about hitting the New York Times bestseller list. And that's another story we can right. talk about later. But I honestly never even thought like writing was possible for me. It felt so foreign. It felt so far away and way too smart and fancy for me. And then I became a full-time speaker and started making a lot of other full-time speaker friends. And the one thing that most successful speakers all had in common was that they had a book or three or five or eight, right? So I knew it was time and that if I wanted to up my game on the platform, which has always been a dream of mine, and to get more visibility and to really up my thought leadership street cred, I knew it was time to write the big girl book. Some people write because they've always dreamt of being a writer and author. Some people write just to write and others use their writing as a marketing tool. And that's kind of the camp I fall into here. But here's the thing I didn't expect to happen, Amanda. <laughs> I freaking loved it. I loved writing. I loved creating <laughs> I loved working with a developmental editor to build the book out. I didn't even know what a developmental editor was until I began that process, by the way, which we'll talk about. I loved marketing the book. I love marketing the book. I loved staring at blank pages, if you can believe that. I loved learning about the book writing process. I, I, I loved creating something out of nothing. And I love 
being an author. So I've just gone on to write my second book, which is crazy to even say it's a workbook, but it's still a significant, I think it's almost 30,000 words. So it's a workbook and it'll come out next month, self-published on Amazon using KDP. And now I'm currently working on book number three and in conversations with literary agents and researchers right now as I start to develop that content out. That is so incredible. Like, it's so exciting. And I know that the listeners are going to be thrilled not only to see the workbook, but also to know that another book is in the works. So you wrote a blog for years. Did you do that as you were building your speaking business? Or was that even before then? Did you know when you were writing it that it was potentially just practice for a book you would write someday? Yeah. So here's the deal. I started a blog in 2011 and it was called Inspired Leadership, <laughs> which is kind of funny <laughs> to think about. And then that- I love that though. Yeah. Right. Like super That was like generic. a sign of the times, right? Like 2011, you're a yeah, leader. <laughs> I'm going to inspire people with my leadership. I mean, it was so like, oh my God, not causing a ruckus at all. But you know, we play it safe when we're new at things and you just kind of, you know, this is why the discomfort zone and having the courage to rattle the cage of mediocrity and trusting yourself is so important. So that blog, but it at least got me started. I called it Inspired Leadership. And I was just writing about what I was learning in the improv theater and how it was helping me be a better leader. And then that turned into, okay, well, personal branding improvised. That became my new blog, right? (laughs) I got a little more specific and started owning a lane. And then that turned into the Friday Fab Five, which is now my newsletter that's been renamed the Friday Fear Boss Five that I've been doing consistently for five years. And it's one of the most popular things I do. So what's that? That's like nine years of writing every single week, sometimes twice a week, publishing content on the regular and repurposing it. Now this all happened before, way before I started my business. And it's honestly in those writings that gave me all the content I used to really develop my first ever keynote speech. I mean, I had no idea that all those writings would one day be the early ideas for a book I'd create on fear, zero clue. And it's funny because as I look back at some of my earliest blog posts, I I saved them all in Evernote. It's actually kind of embarrassing. (laughs) My writing was- Stop it. You know, like my ideas were kind of basic. I had lots of typos, but damn, it's all about the reps. I've come so far personally and professionally, writing-wise too, and I'm so proud of that. So like we're supposed to change, right? We're supposed to develop and grow and evolve. And one of my biggest pet peeves, by the way, sidebar, is when someone comes up to me, he's like, oh, you've changed. Well, Yes, I have changed. Yeah, You're supposed I hope so. To change. I hope so. Thank you. Now, does the core of who I am? No, I'm always. I'm still Judy in my bones, but I'm a very different Judy now than I was in 2011 when I started Inspired Leadership. Right, <laughs> in my tiny apartment in Chicago. So we're supposed to develop. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to evolve. And when you know better, you do better. Plus, plus, fear boss. The more you write the better you get just like anything. I find that entire process really interesting. And I want to give the listeners as much information as possible because they are craving information on how to write, how to get a book deal, how to do all the things. So I'm going to fire some questions at you, kind of rapid fire just to get it all in here. Did you write the book first and then find a publisher? 
Okay. So no, I actually had a book proposal written up. It was nothing super formal, but I spent some time writing an outline of the book's core idea. I had a potential chapter outline kind of drafted. I knew high level who I thought my audience was, what comparable books were, how my book would be different, the problem it would solve, and what the kind of key core messaging was. So I, I had put some, some thought into it and some work into it. And I, I also included things like my reach, my platform information, and other uh, background information about me personally so they knew I wasn't coming out of nowhere uh, when I began to sell the idea. And really to show that I had some street cred and audience and that I could move books, right? A publisher wants to know you can, you can move books. So I had a proposal, but I really kind of found the publisher before I wrote the actual book. Gotcha. So my entire visualization of writing a book and sending it is so wrong. It's hilarious. I can't even believe I told people that. So anyway, how did you find your publisher? Can you share some of like what that process looks like since you didn't have a book to give them? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm a first time author. I came out of nowhere. Right. So I didn't have a lot of connections in the publishing world, but what I did have was a lot of connections in the speaking world. And a lot of my friends had written books and I had a coach at the time who had published with Greenleaf, who is now my publisher. Uh, So I got a direct introduction, which was really cool. A lot of times you'll get turned down by gatekeepers at some of these places and traditional publishing is almost impossible to do on your own without a literary agent. So I decided after lots of calls with author friends that for this book, I wanted to go the hybrid route. I wanted full control, but access and distribution. I wanted to be in airports, in Barnes and Nobles, and not just on Amazon, but I also wanted creative and content control. So hybrid publishers are kind of in the middle of self-publishing and traditional publishing. So my publisher, Greenleaf, is a hybrid publisher and they make that possible. It's like traditional publishing without all the strings. So I got on a conference call with the publishing team. My uh, coach had made an introduction. I presented my book proposal, sold myself, my book, and my idea, and it worked. We signed a deal. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So how long did the process take going back to like getting a publisher? So you got on a conference call, you signed a deal. So how long did that process take? So, okay. I started researching publishers and asking questions to all of my coaches and author friends, like in 2017. And in January, February 18, I wrote up the initial book proposal. And in spring 2018, I started reaching out to publishers and eventually engaged with Greenleaf. Greenleaf felt right. And we signed a contract in April of 2018. So then I began writing shortly after that in May. And my manuscript was due in September of 2018, like mid-September 2018. So my book came out, Fear Boss, in May of 2019. So think about that. It's like a year and three months from like researching phone calls, book proposal to finished book product, but really from signing the contract to book coming out in the world, it was a year and a month. That's incredible. So when you make the agreement with a publisher, do you get timelines and deadlines? Do you set them or do they set them? I would imagine that they probably have to help pace you because it gets a little overwhelming. You want to share a little bit about that? Their job is to... (laughs) 
is to, is to <laughs> project you manage your book process, right? So once I signed the contract, I was assigned a project manager, which is great. They introduce you to your whole team and they put all the timelines in motion. So the first thing I got was a project manager that introduced me to my distribution person, my marketing person, and then the editorial team. And then that was the first big step was getting assigned a developmental editor who really helps you make it a book. And they hand selected someone, April, April Murphy. She's amazing. She's now moved on and she's with Keller Williams Publishing and she's incredible. But she essentially wrote this book with me. She was such a big part of Fears My Homeboy. I learned so much from her. This was literally my favorite part of writing. A lot of people ask me like, what was your favorite part of the book writing process? I'm like, developmental edits. It's scary and it's unnerving and we'll probably talk about that. But it was just, I learned so much from her. I was nervous. She was this PhD. I mean, she was a writing doctor. Think about that. And I was like, oh my God, you know, so smart. But my book is amazing because she helped me make it better. She taught me so much about writing and how the process works. And I swear it's made me a better content creator on micro content, on my social. It's made me a better speaker. I feel like I write better stories in my speeches. And I learned how to do this from April. Speaking of stories, you tell a good story in the book about when fear started winning over for a short time with that editor. I think you were talking about April specifically in the book and how you wanted to change directions. Would you mind sharing that story with the people listening? Oh, totally. So the Cliff Notes version of that story, if you haven't read Fear is My Homeboy yet, which you should, available on Amazon and any of your fine retailers. <laughs> and it's also on Audible. And if you're here listening, by the way, you obviously like to consume content through your ears and your ear pods. So go get the Audible book. We had so much fun recording that. Amanda was in the studio with me. But in the book- yes, I was. It was fun, wasn't it? It was. Okay, so April, I really, legit, this is true story. And this is like an example of how fear will hijack you. So like I get this email introduction to April and her like subject line, it's like gonna be your developmental editor. And I was so darn nervous, right? And still kind of a little in my head on the direction of this book. Remember, it was just a, a, a loose outline and some high level ideas. And then I see her in the subject line of the email, it was like April Murphy, PhD, and like a million other letters about how fancy she was. <laughs> I was like, oh no. And so I instantly was like, April, hi, nice to meet you. I'm so excited. And then I was like, I've actually changed my mind. I've rethought what I think this book needs to be. What I'm thinking is that this should just be like a coffee table or a little uh, daily calendar book with like a hundred days of courage uh, or 365 days to brave. And we're just going to do little daily calendar reminders to help people give them some ideas. And she was like, she doesn't say this way because it's not how she talks, but in a really nice way, she was like, okay, no, no. Uh, while I think that idea is great for another time, you have to trust yourself and you, the world needs this book right now. And you have a book inside of you and you need to trust yourself and you need to trust me. We're in this together. And it was just like, this really powerful moment for me that, okay, deep breath, put the big girl pants on and take one small step forward. Judy, you don't need to write the book today, but could you write a couple of sentences and how can April support me in that process? And we really just became a team and it's such an intimate process writing a book with someone else. And like, I wrote the book, but she helped me make it a book. She went through every word, every sentence, every period, every idea with me. So it's our book, I feel like, you know, and, um, but I wanted to back out and I wanted to change my idea because I was scared. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I can see how like that relationship with April, obviously you wrote the book, but how that almost being your teacher through the process, right? Of how to write a book and what that looks like. So you have your deadlines in place and you have April and a project timeline is in motion. So did you go home and start writing on your little typewriter with all your little pages <laughs> and all your ideas? <laughs> I love it. So yes, I actually did. I, I went home and I started writing, not with the typewriter or and not all at one time, but yeah, it definitely began with first getting super clear on who my reader is. I mean, we spent a lot of time on this. We spent a couple of calls, April and I, really building out what is called a reader avatar. So who is my reader? What does she do? Well, how much money does she make? Uh, how much money does she want to make? What does she read? What keeps her up at night? What makes her happy? Does she have kids? Does she have a job? What does she read? What does she follow on Facebook and the Instagram? Does she have an Instagram? Does she have animals? I might've said that. I mean, we even named her. Uh, we called her Rhea. <laughs> so every time I sat down, I wrote for Rhea, right? And then I had a secondary Rhea. So I had two Rhea's essentially. So there were two different uh, women that I was writing for when I wrote this book because if you are creating for everyone, you're creating for no one. So you have to be really clear. Same when you're building a speech, same when you're writing a piece of micro content online, you have to really know the problem you're solving and the person you are writing for. So that was step one. Then we built the outline, which actually began as like post-it notes all over the walls of my house, like these big ideas sort of mapped out. And then I created this like outline for April. We dissected it. That took about a week or so to really get on the same page. And then once you have the outline, it's like, you like, it's like the clouds part and the sun starts to shine because you now have like a legit map. You see your book and all you have to do is go write and fill in the sections with your stories and your ideas, right? So it was at that point I went to the lab and really started writing, right? So I had like deadlines to hit every week so I could stay on time with our pub date, which was May 28th. 2019. And that's really the process. For me, it began by really getting on the same page with who I was writing for, what that book outline looks like. And then once you've got that roadmap, it's magical. All you have to do is go in and fill in the blanks with all of your stories, all of your ideas, and all of the research that you want to include, but at least you know where you're going. Oh, I love that. I actually didn't know until just now that you had a reader avatar, Rhea which is such a good tool for everybody to think about as they work, right? Like just envisioning who that person is and it probably did simplify the effort. And so, you know what? That feels how? scary. I think people get afraid of that because they think, oh my God, but I really want her to like my work and him. And, and even as I say this to you, there are times that I create things like I just created my second book, which is a workbook. And you know, the, the way we designed the cover, there was this fear coming up going, oh my God, but there's so many guy fear bosses. Am I like leaving them out. I'm like, well, no, I have to be true to who I am and I have to call the whole. And if I'm not creating work that I love, no one's going to like it, right? If I'm not having right. fun. So you, it takes guts to put a stake in the ground and to say, this is who I'm creating for. And we got so many dude fear bosses and they love it, man. They hold up their hot pink books and they rock it. Why? Because <laughs> no they're fear bosses and they know better. And I right. did promise my husband though, that book number three, so that'll be my next big girl book. So technically like hardcover book number two or so yeah, will be a 
either an orange or a yellow cover. I'm going to invert the pink. Uh, so I'll make it a little <laughs> more masculine and we're going to go a bit of a different direction. But yeah, you got to be brave enough to own it. And there is so much business out there and there are so many people that need your ideas and your gifts. So just... It, it's okay to own an avatar. And most marketing professionals are telling you to do that. I mean, I went to Marie Forleo's B-School and that was one of the first exercises we did when I built my small business initially. And I started Inspired Leadership. Like, who are you writing for? And what does she make? What does she wear? How does she want to feel? How does he want to be in his life, right? And so that's a powerful, courageous exercise. No doubt about it. You guys, like if you take nothing away from this. Maybe you're not trying to write a book, but this right here, that is money and gold. And I will be completely deciding what my person's name is today. Okay. So thank you for that. That's literally, I'm, my mind is blown right now. So going back to like this process, so you write, you have deadlines each week, you have April, but how long does each part take? So I feel like how often even did you maybe talk to April and get this moving? Yeah. So, I mean, I wrote weekly five times a week for a few hours at a time in the morning from mid-May 2018 to like early September 2018. So four months in the lab. And once I started writing, I didn't really talk to April uh, a ton. I mean, we spent, we were talking weekly at the very beginning, but once I went into the lab, we would just communicate on email and I would call her when I got stuck, had questions. And we'll talk a little bit about that process with her because our chapter one was a lot more coaching and then the rest, she just sort of let me ride. But you, you, you got to think like I also work as a speaker and I travel for a living. So some weeks were better than others. So I once wrote like half a chapter, uh, half of chapter five. I will never forget it on a plane, saved it. I'm air quoting, saved it to Evernote, but it didn't save. So I lost it all like hours of work. I think it was a flight from the East coast to the West coast. So four hours of work gone. And after that, I got kind of nervous riding on planes for a little bit and stuck to my office, but still I had to be flexible. Uh, the secret to my success was making a calendar appointment with myself, time blocking it and scheduling time every week to write. April gave me a timeline. So I knew where I should be every week. And that's just kind of how we vibed. Gotcha. So Dave Hollis just published a book and in his book, he talks about how painful, how painful to his ego, to his soul, the first rounds of edits were. Did you write the whole book and send it for edits? Like what was that process like for you? I love it. And just so for the fear boss who has no idea who Dave Hollis is, Dave Hollis is married to Rachel Hollis. And Rachel Hollis is a multiple New York Times bestselling author, um, international keynote speaker, um, a serial entrepreneur. And uh, they're pretty famous here in the States. So we'll yep. link up. Dave's actually a New York Times bestseller now too. And he hit the New York Believe Times. Not. I love him. So yep. his book is called Get Out of Your Own Way. We'll link up to him and Rachel in the show notes because we've got a lot of international listeners that may not know who yep. that is. But um, yeah, so Dave is right. Edits are painful. Uh, It is a very vulnerable process and you just can't take anything personally. So April, I love this. On our very first call, she asked me this. And if anybody remembers American Idol, uh, she on our very first call with me, she goes, okay, as we go into edits, do you want me to be Paula, Simon, or Randy? And I (laughs) loved that so much because it helped her understand where I stood and what kind of feedback I could handle, right? And I was like, of course, you want to know my answer? I was like, give me Simon all day. I want this to be a good book. It's why we're here. But that's why at its rock, right? They're the best part of the process because you are making it a better book. It's where you dig in and learn and do the deep, uncomfortable work required. 
in order to earn a good book that gets read and loved in the end. So I wrote and wrote and wrote and would submit chapters and I'd actually see edits way later. So it didn't block me creatively thinking about that. You get really fired up, you write an awesome chapter and then it comes back with a million red lines. It affects your book. (laughs) So I literally, so here was the one exception, chapter one. We wrote and edited that in real time so she could teach me, right? So that I learned a few things and didn't make that same mistake throughout the entire book. Uh, so chapter one was like going to writing class. I wrote it, then we got on a call, couple of calls, and dissected it. Here's why this is redlined. This doesn't work. This works. I need more stories here, more research, so that when I write to, went to write two, three, four, five, six, seven, I didn't make those same mistakes. But once we got through this like class on chapter one, I wrote and I did not see any edits until the book was finished. And then we started the second round because it would just block me and you would just get in your head, right? So one of the big lessons I learned like in chapter one is she did an exercise where she highlighted all the eyes. All the time I said, all the times I said, I, I, this, I, this, I, this. She goes, those need to become you. It doesn't mean that you can't tell a story about yourself, but you always have to be thinking about what's in it for the reader. And that fundamentally changed the way I create micro content on social media, the way I write anything, the way I speak on a stage. So you want to be finding ways to share your stories because this book is my ideas and my stories and my advice. But the goal is to DJ it out in a way that serves the reader. So they see themselves in your words. And that if she wouldn't have told me that, imagine what my book would have looked like and how much right. work we would have had to do. So that was just like a beautiful lesson. And she would, like a great story. I'd tell a great story. She'd be like, great, but go give me some research on that. Where's, is there some science we could put behind this? You know what I mean? So the job of a developmental editor, and this is what's so beautiful about doing a hybrid process and not a self-published yeah. book, you get a professionally done book that is going to earn all of the beautiful rewards you get from going deep and doing that work. That's awesome. And it kind of goes back to that eyes versus you things. It's Rhea, right? It was probably Rhea. made it a lot better. Goes back yeah. to Rhea. Right. So how much of the book changed during the editing process? Oh my gosh, lots. It just got better and better. I'd say from the outline I presented initially, we changed about 30, maybe even 40% of it. And my book has seven chapters, but I initially only had six in my mind. The chapter uh, CEO of you, which is chapter four, was going to be one chapter, but it was so meaty that we split it into two, which became chapter three, balanced by design and chapter four CEO of you. So that was in April. Like we decided to split it up and rename it. And it just was awesome. It allowed all of that big meaty content to sort of get broken down and become a little bit more manageable. So it was all about being open-minded and flexible. And again, always keeping the reader in the front of your mind. Yeah. Did that process feel like it went really fast or really slow? Well, it depends on the week. Sometimes it felt really fast and sometimes (laughs) it felt really slow, but forward momentum always was and is my medicine. That's funny. That's how life is, right? How would you say that writing Fear is My Homeboy changed you, changed your life, and potentially even has changed your business? Oh my gosh. It's changed 
everything. And the only regret I have is not doing it sooner. Personally, I loved that I proved to myself that I can do hard things. That's a Glennon Doyle, right? Untamed. I love that. She said that probably 80 times in her new book, Untamed. I'll link to that in the show notes. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, like I proved to myself that I could do hard things. I proved to myself that I'm a writer. I proved to myself that I can be myself and thrive. For the love of God, I named my book, Fear is My Homeboy, right? Fear is My Homeboy was me trusting myself and me causing a ruckus and me rattling the cage of mediocrity with my courage. And I will continue to do so. It lit the fire. Now, professionally, of course, my book has been one of the most incredible business cards I've ever had. Also one of the most expensive business cards I've ever bought. Um, (laughs) But it is a beauty. It it is is a beauty. Um, And it's opened doors to people and places and opportunities that wouldn't exist otherwise. Yeah. What is the biggest misconception you had about writing a book? Um, And you being on my team, working so closely with me, you'll probably agree with me on a lot of these because we're learning so, so much about the book writing process as you help me run the back end of my business. But I had this misconception that the publisher would take care of me and help me market my book and that all I need to do is sell 10,000 books and I'm instantly going to hit the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. <laughs> I remember Mans and I being on early calls. I'd be in like Target parking lots. They'd be like, oh my God. Okay, we're going to get on this podcast. And if we can move this amount of books, oh my God, I think we're going to make the list. And I just think it's so funny looking back. Like to date, my book hasn't even been out a year. We've what, ordered, I think, 24, 25,000 copies, you guys. That's incredible yeah, that's for incredible. an unknown author who has never published a book. And at the time I put my book out, y'all, I had 3,500 followers on the Instagram, which is not too shabby, but come on. I think my newsletter list was like 5,000. My following was 3,500. So I was unknown when I wrote this book. So, you know, I am proud because I have done this myself, but you cannot expect anybody, traditional publisher, all the way down to KDP on Amazon, you cannot expect anybody to market your material. You have to market it. And I also learned, fuck the list. Fuck the list. If it happens, if it happens, awesome. If it doesn't happen, still awesome, right? Focus on creating good work. Build a community, community around your ideas and show up every single day because no one comes out of nowhere. Plus, there is so much you can't control and so much politics around some of these oh. really big lists. It's, it, it's a yeah. big game. And I mean that with love, right? It, but it is. So we'll take one of our favorites, for example, Carol Alwell Leba, otherwise known as the champagne diet. Uh, and hopefully I'm getting all this right, but like loosely high level. This is a girl who wrote a book called Girl Code from her kitchen in Brooklyn. She self-published that book. No one really knew her, but she had built and was building a pretty big community. So when her book came out and helped her grow organically. That self-published book got noticed and went on to be bought by HarperCollins and has since been translated into eight, nine, seven other languages. I don't know how many she's at right now. That book changed her life and her business is at, and has had global global impact. It never made Wall Street Journal. It's never been a New York Times bestseller and it doesn't freaking matter. That girl has over 137,000 followers on Instagram and has now written 10, 12 different books, books on poetry, workbooks, coaching books. She did write a published, uh, a traditionally published book with Harper Collins. And guess what? 
She's not doing it anymore. Harper Collins bought Girl Code, gave her a book deal, a big fancy book deal for like she owns the place. And she's like, I didn't like that process. So she's back to self-publishing again because she wanted to maintain financial and creative control. Plus she has a beautiful big community. So Kara puts out a piece of work. She's a boss and she's inspiring. I mean, her her latest book is called Girl on Fire and she self-published that on KDP and it's beautiful and it went gangbusters and, you know, she's empowering women to choose themselves, right? And that, you know, you you have to really decide what works for you. I mean, you even look at Rachel Hollis who wrote Girl Wash Your Face, right? At the time she put Girl Wash Your Face out, she had 800,000 followers, 800,000 followers. Rachel Hollis, the queen, right? And it even took her eight weeks, almost eight weeks to hit New York Times. And now she never leaves it. And her husband puts out a book and he gets it immediately, right? But you catch my drift. The point is, it's up to you to market your book. It's up to you to promote and sell your book. It's up to you to build your community. It's up to you to get endorsements for your book. It's up to you to sell your book. So build a community now. It's a lot easier to sell and move a book with 10, 15, 20, 30,000 followers, most certainly 140,000 followers than it is with 3,000 followers. That's just like basic math. So study the people who are killing it. Hire coaches, ask a lot of questions, but make sure you're having fun. Cause if you're not, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's such great advice. And by the way, and, I'll you know, link even- up to Kara. I'll put Kara's like, you know, so people know who Kara is. Don't worry, you guys, I'm going to link up to Kara and her books. And so you can really watch what she's doing and, and learn from her, but also consume her content. She's awesome. I worked with her for a while. She was my coach. She's a friend. So definitely I'll link up to her in the notes so you can get to know her, but a, a great person to watch from a, a most certainly a self-publishing standpoint. Totally. Entrepreneurial. Like she is, I laugh, like we talk about her often. She's a boss. Yeah. She's an entrepreneur at heart and she shares and gives so freely of her content, which is awesome. This is something that the community definitely wants. Like what advice do you have to give to someone who's just starting to write? Love it. A couple of things. Number one, weigh the pros and cons of self-publishing hybrid, which is what I did, and traditional publishing. Each one of them has its sweet spot and each of it has its pain points. So you just have to decide what flavor of shit sandwich you would you are willing to eat, right? Because <laughs> no doubt about it's it. perfect. So do your research online, do your homework, interview your different options, ask questions, listen to podcasts, bring people in really smart like you to read through your book contract to make sure you know what's <laughs> going on. Amanda just went through my entire book contract and we learned so much and you know you've got to hire and have people around you to help you in these areas um, because it can get really confusing and there's a lot of legalese so make sure you're doing the work and if you are having a hard time doing that bring people in that can help you do that but listen to podcasts like this episodes like this there are so many resources but you have to do what's best for you number two trust yourself remember you deserve to be here if you want to write a book trust yourself your ideas matter. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but the world needs your gifts. So beware comparison and self-doubt and imposter syndrome. Number three, if you are writing or really into that process right now, start auditing what you're consuming while writing and on deadline. I did not listen to or read anything for about six months while I was writing, pre-writing and during writing, which was so hard because I consume content like an addict, but I didn't want to compare myself or get stuck or have anything I was reading influence the work I was trying to create. Last 
start organizing your ideas. The big things you'll need when preparing a book proposal are the following. And by the way, I feel like I should teach a class on this and kind of walk people through like the book proposal process and sort of what I Oh, yeah. And I can give people the outline and and really walk them through a template that can look beautiful and really well thought out. But for high level, you're going to need these elements. An overview. What's your book about? What's the title? What's the big idea? What's a subtitle? Now, this could get scratched. Mine did. My publisher created mine. Uh, But what's that subtitle? Who's your primary audience? What's that avatar, right? Who's your RIA? What's the problem you solve? Do you have any potential interviews with famous people, thought leaders? Um, Are there any case studies with cool corporations that you may want to reference that could up your street cred? Do you have a chapter-by-chapter outline put together? What about competitive advantages and landscape, like what books are similar to yours and how are your, is your book different than those books? And then of course, you know, some, some information on your platform, you know, what your social media look, look like? Do you speak? Do you have a platform? Do you, what writing have you done in the past? You know, basically this is all about your street cred. How will you move books? How will you, um, you know, what are your clients? What kind of influence do you have, etc. So those are some things to be thinking about now, most specifically, if you want to go the hybrid and the traditional route, absolutely. Self-publishing is just a little bit of a different deal. That is such great advice. And I have a feeling so many of our fear bosses listening are going to take that information to heart. And I'm sure they would be very excited if you opened up a class. I think you've already answered this, but just for the people that didn't hear it in the back, uh, will you be writing another book? Yes, I'm writing another book. Uh, We do have a workbook. It is um, a very robust workbook. It is like a book slash workbook. It's a book and a workbook. Wouldn't you agree, Amanda? Amanda's seen it. It's magical. Um, I cannot wait. I know, me too. It's probably going to be like 130 pages with all the like graphic design elements and the the workbook components once it's all drawn out. But that comes out in May. Stay tuned. More to come on that. But yeah, book two's in process. So you've given like the outline of how to do a book that feels like maybe another like personal development kind of book, but have you ever thought about writing a novel? Oh my God, I cannot. Like, (laughs) no. But I love you for thinking that I could. No, I have I have not thought about it. I wish I could have an Angela Lansbury moment. I mean, girl, I guess <laughs> right. But no, I do not sit around and think, I'm just trying to figure out how to get book number three out in the world. But yeah, no novels. Not yet, girl. Not yet. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. As we kind of draw this to a close, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners before you get out of the hot seat? Yes, I do. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hot air. <laughs> so hot in here. I think we need one more Nelly dance party. If you're in your car right now, if you're in the bathroom getting ready, I want you to turn it up. Little, oh my gosh, you're so much fun. A hot <laughs> oh my gosh, we got to shake our booties on the way out of this. I love it. Okay, so I just had a, a play. No, I don't have anything else except for the Nelly dance party for you guys. But no, I. You know what? I guess the last thing I want to say is just trust yourself. If this is something you want to do, start taking action every day to move it forward. But remember, easy choices, hard life. Hard choices, easy life. You have to be willing to do the hard work required in order to earn those dreams and goals that you want for yourself. So is it easy? No. Is it scary? Yes. Is it painless? No. But is it 
life-changing? Absolutely, right? So you just have to decide what works for you. But I also want to say, you don't have to write a book to feel like a success, right? You have to really do deep work because it's not for everybody to decide if writing a book is for you. I always tell this to people, like, you don't need to be a speaker to prove to the world that you're success because speaking isn't for everybody, right? You don't have to have, like, create an online course and film the best videos to be a success because that doesn't work for everybody, right? So you just have to do the work to really think about what success looks like for you, not for anybody else. And I'm continuing to do that every single day as I look around at all the successful people. And I think, oh my God, well, she's doing this. I should do this. Or he's doing this. I should do this. And it's like, no, no, no. What does Judy want? And it helps make the hard things a little bit easier when you're really clear on what it is that you want and what success yeah. looks like to you. So there's my last word. Stop. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, I feel Yay, thank you way. for this, it's Amanda. Really Great question. Yes. Thank you so much. I learned a ton today and I've been with you through all of this process. So thank you for being open to sharing so much of this with all of us. I feel like I just went to school myself and that was incredible. So as always, I loved being here with you today and I can't wait to do it again. Love it. Same back at you, girl. Good questions. We'll see you next time in the hot seat. Bye. Okay, Fear Boss, I hope you loved this episode as much as I loved making it for you. If you did, can you hit the five-star button on iTunes and tell iTunes or wherever you're listening that this podcast rocks? It helps me so much and it's how other fear bosses like you find this content. Also, if you're loving this podcast, I have a feeling you'll dig my audiobook. So go grab yourself a copy on Audible today. Just search up Fear Is My Homeboy and you'll find it on all of the things. As always, make sure you also screenshot this episode of the podcast. Let me know that you're listening. Tell me what you love. I love seeing all of your tags on Instagram and all the social media. So I can't wait to hear from you. And last but not least, as always, make sure you share your show show ideas, questions, and inspiration with me, you can email me directly at hello at Judy Holler, J-U-D-I-H-O-L-L-E-R.com, or send a message, DM to me on any of the social. I love hearing from you because this show is for you. As always, thank you for listening. And in the meantime, stay brave and keep experimenting with your fear. Well, hi there. It's me again. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so damn glad you're here. And if you loved this episode, which I hope you did, my hand is on my heart. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling a little extra boss today, it would mean the world to me if you'd leave a review on iTunes so more fear bosses like you can find this podcast. And better yet, share this podcast with the fear boss you love and encourage them to listen. For more on me, my work, and my keynotes, you can visit me at judyholler.com, J-U-D-I-H-O-L-L-E-R.com to learn more. And this is also where you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called The Fear Boss Five, and it comes out every Friday where I share five things I'm loving, learning, and reading. It's one of my favorite things to do. And if you love this podcast, you're going to love the newsletter, and you can sign up right there on my website. My book is available at most of your favorite book retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, airports, all the things. So search me up on Google or type Judy Holler into Amazon and grab your copy. Last but not least, you can always come hang out with me on the social media. Instagram is my favorite place to be. I'm on Instagram at Judy Holler, J-U-D-I-H-O-L-L-E-R. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fears my homeboy and Twitter as well at Judy Holler. 
Until next time, Fear Boss, keep experimenting with your fear and stay brave.